Well, obviously, they didn't accept it. Uh, they accepted that there was elements of the winter plan that were ambitious, uh, but uh, which targets weren't met. Uh, but they certainly didn't accept um, my uh, conclusion that it has been a failure. Um, I have for a long time now not had any faith in these winter plans, especially when they're published in November. Um, a winter plan that would be outlined and published during the summer. Uh, there might be some logic uh, in um, hoping uh, that its targets would be met, it would be implemented, and it would lead to better patient experience. Uh, but uh, certainly the timing uh, and the targets uh, within uh, the present winter plan, to me, uh, were never realistic. Uh, when um, the HSE and its interim chief executive, Stephen Mulvaney, came before the Health Committee, uh, back in the middle of April or the middle of November, I think it was the 16th of November, I put it to them uh, that these uh, targets were ambitious and unrealistic. Um, and I think three months on, um, in the middle of one of the biggest uh, emergency department crises uh, we've seen in recent years, uh, I think that uh, that conclusion has been uh, proven to be correct. Martin, they agreed that lessons could be learned, which is all well and good, but how confident would you be that they will learn from those lessons? Well, uh, there's 24 billion of taxpayers' money being spent uh, on the health services every year uh, for the last number of years. It's the highest spend this year uh, that we've ever had before. And uh, we have more people working uh, in uh, uh, the hospital and healthcare sectors uh, than we ever have had before. Um, So there comes a point uh, where the resources aren't a problem. Uh, So it's the implementation and the spending of those resources uh, is the problem. We cannot have a situation again uh, in Limerick uh, where a major incident is declared uh, two days after the New Year's Eve, um, where you have up on 100 people on trolleys. Uh, The situation in Limerick uh, with uh, trolley numbers um, has uh, is now not just a winter and a January phenomenon. Uh, it's an all-year-round phenomenon. Uh, so, you know, the measures uh, that uh, were activated with the major incident, uh, some of them, I think, can be uh, kept uh, in place permanently, <clears throat> such as the protocols in terms of the blue lighting people into Ennis. Um, um, uh, I think that, you know, some of those uh, measures uh, need to be um, uh, left uh, on a permanent basis. But ultimately, um, we do need capacity uh, and an increase in capacity uh, in Limerick as well, because for too long, uh, there hasn't been the necessary investment in building capacity in Limerick. Uh, That's acknowledged by everybody, and it's also acknowledged by the Taoiseach. Uh, So I think uh, in the short term, we need to see what's happened in the last uh, few couple of weeks uh, in terms of pulling the numbers down. We need to see that continue escalate it where it's possible to escalate it. Uh, But we also need to see fast-tracked the second 95-bedroom unit uh, uh, that is uh, now being spoken about widely. Uh, Government have given a commitment, uh, and the Taoiseach has given a commitment, as has Minister Donnelly, uh, that once the proposals come in um, uh, from uh, the UL Hospital Group, that it will be uh, uh, sanctioned and approved very quickly. So I'd like to see, and I'd like to know, when that's going to happen in terms of Limerick. So at least we can uh, uh, see some positive movement uh, on the, the, the numbers in what is the worst uh, emergency department okay. in the country. Uh, Cahill, you called on the HSC to admit to the fact that 
the decision in 2009 in relation to configuration to, to wind back 24-hour A&Es and downgrade the health system in the region has basically come back to haunt them. And you said we've never had a centre of excellence here in the Midwest, that we've had a centre of disaster, a centre of death for some people. We've seen a 16-year-old girl losing her life before Christmas on a trolley at UHL. You asked them if a mistake had been made and Stephen Mulvaney he said no and that it shouldn't be reversed due to the fact that it's not safe to have as many A&Es open. It's not possible to safely staff those A&Es and the preference would be to invest in Model 2 hospitals so that they can safely provide as much care as they can. What did you make of his response? Well, I wouldn't agree with his assessment. Uh, he's, he's newly fulfilling this role, but the reality is that both the HSE and indeed uh, those who took the political decision uh, some of them in my own party in 2009, but uh, principally Minister uh, Mary Harney. There was a decision taken in 2009 to downgrade Ennis General Hospital. It was the wrong decision then, and it's very much the wrong decision now, and I think uh, that has been really augmented in the last few weeks. And I think it's time that people, you know, more than a decade later, admit that this was wrong and that everything possible has to be done to reverse it. Minister Mary Harney at the time, uh, supported by my own party and government said that this would lead to a centre of excellence. It has been anything but a centre of excellence. And that isn't a reflection on the staff at UHL. Both Martin and I and others today uh, really acknowledge the immense role they're playing there. Uh, but this is a reflection on systematic failures uh, that can only really be addressed by building capacity in the region. My mother uh, was a nurse for a long time. She has retired from the profession. She worked in UHL um, at one time, there were five hospital, five accidents in the emergency departments filling, fulfilling the needs of this region. Um, the regional hospital in Limerick, Ennis General, Nina General, Barrington's and St. John's. We now have uh, a, a huge increase in local population, now half a million living in the Midwest, with only one 24-hour A&E department serving them. That's wrong. Uh, and, and it was a failure, I think, to close accident emergency departments and funneled so many people through one system that couldn't cater for them. Martin, you questioned the HSE representatives and why only a handful of private beds were requisitioned by the UL Hospitals Group to, to try and alleviate the pressure and you asked them if this pointed towards the need for an elective hospital in the Midwest. What was there, or in particular Stephen Mulvaney's <coughs> response? Yeah, I suppose look at, <coughs> there was two elements to the question that I asked. Um, and it goes back to the Health Committee meeting <clears throat> with the HSE in November the 16th when I questioned them on their negotiations and engagements with private uh, providers and uh, we were given an assurance that that uh, negotiation and discussions was at an advanced stage. Uh, again today in the opening statement that Mr Mulvaney provided to the committee uh, we're told that engagements are ongoing. Um, so I questioned A, you know, why was it still uh, a question that negotiations were ongoing? Uh, surely to God they should have been concluded at this stage. And secondly, um, uh, why only five of the beds that have been requisitioned uh, have only uh, been used in Limerick? <clears throat> and I didn't get a satisfactory reply to either question. Um, and it was only during a briefing for Aractus members last week uh, when I put the question uh, to uh, the CEO of the ULH Hospital Group, um, that uh, we uh, leaned to reply that only five beds had been used, uh, in spite of the fact that the ED in Limerick is the worst in the country, uh, that only five of the 180 beds uh, that had been requisitioned by the HSC uh, were, uh, were being used by uh, UHL. Um, I think that's unacceptable. Um, I, I think that we need further clarity 
on exactly how these beds are proportioned. What's the criteria for proportioning them? Um, and I think, you know, th- there are further questions that need to be clarified. So hopefully we will get some clarity. But I think going forward, uh, if any lesson is to be learned from what's happened in the last couple of weeks, uh, it is that uh, we need uh, a proper service level agreement uh, with the private hospitals. Uh, that needs to be done uh, in peacetime when the beds aren't required. Uh, so as uh, dim bids can be factored in uh, in real terms into the winter plan, except uh, uh, as opposed to being aspirational. Uh, so I think that that's an area where work can be done. I certainly didn't accept uh, Mr Mulvaney's uh, comment that uh, private bids are, are primarily for surgical uh, procedures and elective procedures. Uh, the reality is they've cancelled elective surgery in Limerick for a number of days in order to free up those beds. So that was a red hurry as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so I think um, uh, we need uh, to see exactly how they're going to engage with the private hospital groups going forward uh, because uh, their engagements over the last number of months, quite frankly, have not been acceptable. Call the, the recent changes, um, which I you know, I think we're seen as a positive, which allows ambulance personnel to transport certain patients directly uh, to the MAU at Ennis General, was highlighted. It was confirmed a review of the local injury units and MAU has been underway to see where possibly opening hours could be extended. And that's expected to be finalised in the early part of 2023 and expected to give a platform for next year. So it looks like it's going to be next year before we see any changes to opening hours at either the MAU or the local injuries unit at Ennis General, if any at all. Is that good enough in your view? I, I don't think it's that set in stone. Um, yes, we've had two briefings. Well, today was a meeting with HSE chiefs, but last week we had a high-end briefing with hospital management attended by the Taoiseach and Minister for Health. Um, what I very much have taken away from both meetings is that the medical assessment unit in Ennis, it's high-functioning. It's very skillful set of staff there. It's well-equipped. And the use of it now is alleviating a huge amount of pressure uh, at UHL and there's plans afoot very soon, I hope, to have a similar facility operating uh, in Nina General Hospital to, to, to alleviate further pressure in that regard. Um, the local injuries unit can be beefed up as well. These are all decisions that do not take a full calendar year to implement, in my opinion. And we've heard a, a real political will from uh, Taoiseach and Minister for Health to do everything possible to build capacity. One of the things I suggested, just to, to add to what Martin said there a moment ago, every time we get approval for a new bed block, you know, even with fair winds conditions, it can take two and a half, three years to build, equip and open up for public use. And I've been suggesting to the Minister for Health and the Taoiseach that just like we did during COVID, where uh, the government acquired the likes of the West County, the Radisson Hotel, the UL Sports Arena, we were able to acquire uh, public large venues and use them, transform them uh, into health settings. Also during the Ukrainian uh, war, we've been able to very quickly uh, procure um, properties on behalf of the state and use them for accommodation. And I've suggested to them, why not use the likes of the Southcourt Hotel across the road from UHL Hospital? Why not use facilities like this uh, where you have ensuite rooms, um, private rooms, plenty of them, uh, and just rent them out for a year or two, just as an interim basis to provide capacity. There is a precedent here. Some people probably roll their eyes when they hear these suggestions, but there is a precedent here because we saw three years ago where Limerick Maternity Hospital did the very the very same thing by acquiring beds across the street in the Strand Hotel. We have seen Tala General Hospital very successfully uh, open the Reeves Centre for day surgery, and they used... Uh, 
an obsolete commercial unit across the road from their hospital. So I think whilst Martin, I and everyone in the county wants to see these new blocks built, they do take time and I think we need to look at more outside-the-box solutions. Okay. And another outside-the-box solution I put to the Minister today, um, and, and in recent days I should say, is that since the beginning of COVID, 972 highly skilled or best and brightest doctors have left Ireland for for Australia. That's Australia alone. That doesn't even take into account the Middle East and Dubai. These are 972 people we could well do providing local GP care and care in our hospital system. And I think the time has come for no more dithering that we mandate that these people after graduating stay in Ireland. Uh, This has to be more carrot than stick, of course. I think we need to look at paying conditions, but we can't have this brain drain every year where the best and brightest nurses and doctors leave our country and I think we need to look at ways of keeping them here enticing them in the first instance and if that isn't an option I think it needs to be stitched in uh, on the emergency basis that we have at the moment that that they fulfil a year or two of service in their country before they apply for visas to go overseas. And indeed that point I've seen Professor Declan Lyons the consultant physician and geriatrician make a similar point that they in a way I guess should repay the the investment that has been made in them. The response from the HSE that it wants to continue to find ways to encourage staff to stay rather than force them, including better working conditions. Would it be fair to say that the the better working conditions element of that hasn't been fulfilled? So, uh, you know, while you're saying, you know, you want to use the carrot more than the stick, uh, a mandate may be needed. I think it is needed. I think there, I think there's a lot of pushback already to my suggestion. I was looking on Twitter. There's doctors all over the country rallying against it. However, the reality is that uh, we had a, p- a publication there back in November on poverty and marginalisation in Clare, and that, you know, that's the first time we have seen on paper just how lacking health facilities are in the rural parts of the county. We lag in County Clare, 33 percent behind the rest of the country in terms of community level GP care. And we all know parts of our county where GPs have passed on or retired and there's no one to fill fill that gap. And yet we've 972 uh, brand new, highly talented medical graduates leaving our country um, to go to Australia. I don't think that's sustainable. Um, We have an excellent education system here in Ireland. And I certainly don't want to stifle the hopes of youngsters and what they might want to do in terms of travelling. But I think it has come to a time now where we're going to have to, for a year or two years, mandate that these people stay in Ireland. I I think it can't just be you're staying here, tough luck. I think we need to look at ways like of old. I've mentioned my mother already in this interview. When she graduated as a nurse, she lived on the hospital campus in the nurse's home. There were meals and accommodation provided for them. We still have some of those old accommodation blocks on hospital campuses lying idle, lying in states of dereliction. Maybe we need to look at giving the 21-year-old graduates a place to live and, and helping them in ways beyond their payroll to remain in Ireland okay. to make this viable as they start their career. Martin, you asked for figures on the number of deaths that have needlessly happened due to the emergency at the emergency departments. The HSE said it couldn't confirm if anyone has lost their life because of the, the crisis in the, the health service. What, what did you make of the response? Um, yeah, sure. Look, at I suppose um, I asked it at the very end of my uh, uh, initial line of questioning um, because uh, you know, surely there has been um, uh, uh, people who have lost their lives as a result of it. Um, they didn't quantify it. Um, they certainly uh, uh, didn't uh, enlighten me any further. Uh, but I suppose, look, at uh, when the coal light of day comes uh, and we move out of this particular crisis, it's only then. 
uh, we will uh, discover the true uh, uh, human cost uh, in terms of people's health and tragically if people did lose their lives. Okay, final word to you, Cahill. Then you were also critical of the fact, and this is a point you've made a number of times on Morning Focus, that the management team uh, moved two kilometres away from the hospital campus. This is the ULHG management team during the pandemic and claimed there's no day to day oversight. Now, the HSE management, they uh, disputed that. They said it wasn't their experience when they visited there recently. Were you happy with what they had to say? Well, I came at the question on, on a roundabout way. I asked uh, the HSE chiefs if they believe you have to be on site to have full oversight of the situation. Absolutely, they said. And then my second question was, do you think the ULHL management can properly have oversight of the hospital when they're located two kilometres away from it? Oh, oh, they can, they said. You know, that doesn't, that's not congruent. That isn't, you cannot, you cannot run any system and I'm sure the manager of KRFM doesn't base him, him or herself two kilometres away the principal of a school isn't two or three kilometres. The captain of a ship is on a ship, not remote from it, not removed from it. You cannot have proper oversight of a hospital or hospital group not being based on it. I understand the management team can't be involved in every acute situation that presents the UHL, but certainly they should be up and down those corridors a few times a day, seeing the good, the bad, and instilling confidence in their staff and in their patients. That isn't happening, and I'm going to keep harping on about it until that changes. 